Cartonization plays a huge role in the supply chain, and I'm not talking about cartons of milk. These packages and tiny boxes play a huge role in how things are shipped. With scope 3 emissions causing greater focus on supply chain problems, can the tan cardboard box get a green makeover? And also, can technology and API connectivity make sense of the Tetris-like game of how to pack things a little less hectic? We find out in this episode of Loaded and Rolled. Welcome to Loaded and Rolling. I'm your host, Thomas Wasson. When we talk about the supply chain, an important topic to know is called cartonization, or the process that determines the order, number, and size of each carton to ship to each other. So when you put it in the order. For those who don't know, the term carton refers to a light box or container, but most folks remember it for housing things like milk. Well, it turns out that not the only thing light boxes are used for is milk. They're also an integral part of the manufacturing process and supply chain. In my experience, there are entire businesses whose sole purpose is to make packaging materials and cartons. Additionally, there are recycle centers that handle goods and some places even find novel ways to reuse plastic cartons. Well, it turns out a key to a better supply chain efficiency is figuring out not only how to pack, but also how much to pack. Answering that question and joining us today to talk about how important cartonization is to the supply chain and how we can make it more efficient is James Malley, CEO and co-founder of Accurate. He's been working on optimizing supply chains for over a decade, and as of March, his company has optimized 2.7 million shipments to retailers such as Hunter Douglas, Crate and Barrel, and even Dillard's. Welcome, James. Hey, thanks for having me. Pleasure to have you on. I know March was 2.7 million. Has the has the cartonization increased? Are we moving up? Yeah, you know, we wondered if uh, the volumes would dip uh, as the economy gets a little spooky, but um, we've actually found a, a slight increase despite that. That's really exciting stuff. And good to hear as well, even given the crazy volumes uh, that you all are seeing some, some upward movement. Speaking of the business and what it does, for a lot of folks in the supply chain, uh, mine in particular, we usually just pick it up. It's in a pallet. We don't think about much how it's actually packed. Uh, could you describe a little bit about like what you all do and what's the process when we think about cartonization? Sure. Um, well, it's funny you mentioned that because I think only recently in the last couple of years has it become you know a, a high priority item. Uh, previously, uh, you know when I got started in supply chain, it was really a kind of well, you know we do the best we can, but that's kind of the cost of doing business. Um, past couple of years, the speed at which uh, the rate hikes are coming in from the major carriers. Uh, material costs are suddenly something uh, that shippers need to care about with you know, the cost of corrugated and the cost of the resin that makes the corrugate that makes up the cartons that you mentioned. Um, all that's going up. Um, so what we do is we help in real time uh, shippers, mostly e-com shippers, some 3PLs, figure out the most cost-efficient way of packing each shipment. And looking at that, there's an awesome quote that talked about how it was uh, like almost 3D Tetris. Is that something where you guys are utilizing the technology to find out not only how to pack it, but also how to use less of those those filler materials? Absolutely. Um, and 
that's usually the way we describe it to people. Um, certainly our, our friends and loved ones that are like, wait, you, you put things in boxes. Um, we're really just simulating uh, how these items should go into each box, when to split up orders into multiple boxes, uh, depending on the, uh, you know, where the, the shipment is headed, uh, what carrier you're using. Um, and then we display an image, uh, usually on a screen in the warehouse that shows, okay, th- these widgets go in this corner, this goes here, that goes here. Um, but really optimizing for cost is, is what we focus on. And given like recent trends of inflation and everything as well, how you, you noted that they're always, they're finding, you know, they're paying attention to cost. Has that been a huge factor? Has it, the cost of this core getting everything else gone up so much that folks are saying any inches or feet we can save, that, that's a big deal? Absolutely. I mean, you know, the way that the, the industry kind of moves, I wouldn't say sluggishly, um, but the trends kind of uh, come in like a barge sometimes. Um, and certainly even just this year alone, um, we've seen the focus on uh, solutions like Packurate, um, more, more credit given to packaging engineers when they figure out a way to uh, change the product or change the corrugate that has a, a massive downstream effect. Um, I would say there's, it's always been under-optimized. Um, lately, it's become painful. And what are some of the, so how important is when we're talking about the supply chain, cartonization and everything, it's used in all parts, right? So you're using, utilizing these boxes and having to pack from every single piece. Uh, how, how big of a deal is this excess space? I mean, are we talking folks losing millions of dollars just because they're not packing, packing as efficient as they could be? Certainly millions, um, you know, billions of dollars potentially across the whole industry. Um, and one of the really interesting things about packing optimization strictly is that your cost and your carbon footprint are essentially the same. Um, you know, your material usage, the the actual corrugate is, um, you know, a scope three emission. Um, certainly the trailers that you floor load uh, to get those packages out to your customers, those are a scope three emission. Um, and so anytime you go in to try to optimize for sustainability, uh, you're also saving money and, and vice versa. So that's that's one of the things we like about this space. Um, you can kind of have your cake and eat it too. You don't need to like sell, you know, a sustainability effort internally because it, you know, you can just sell it as a cost savings and and get the benefit of being greener. I think that's really cool to think about because we're talking about scope three and trucking as well. And the biggest thing is how to calculate it. But you all have a pretty, if you can show that you're packaging in less boxes or even saving time and floor loaded. So they're even at that level concerned about how you even load it inside the trailers if you're wasting as much, you know, emissions and energy, right? Right. Well, what we found is that, um, and maybe this is just obvious, but it wasn't obvious to us without looking at a ton of data. Um, but the the amount of um, space you save in your cartons, so if you shrink your average carton size by 14%, which is kind of the lower end we see across our customers, that translates directly to 14% better trailer utilization. So if you're a shipper that, you know, sends out hundreds of trailers every year, you can expect by making your cartons more optimal, you're going to reduce the number of trailers you need by 14% as well. And I think that's a, you know, this kind of like ripple effect um, is not, it's becoming more appreciated, but it has been unappreciated in the past. 
And I think there was something in an earlier interview talked about how if you order a single thing like a pen, you'll get a giant outsized box with a bunch of filler in it, and then you get a tiny pen. Is that kind of the whole crux of this wastefulness and inefficiency? A certain unnamed uh, e-commerce one, for example, gave me a book, and the empty space and the book were about equal. And it was this giant extra box for such a tiny book. So that's kind of where you guys are coming in using technology, right? Yeah, and it's it's interesting. It's it's the most visible um, part of like a post purchase experience for us, you know, the consumers. Um, and people, you know, I I've wanted to complain directly to uh, some of the the retailers that I bought things from. If there's like forty air pillows in there, I'm like, come on, <laughs> do you, do you care about this problem? Um, and so we're seeing like people start to complain a lot on social media. That's certainly um, you know kicking off some some interest in fixing things. Um, and I, I do have to give, you know, shippers credit. Um, this is like one of a hundred things they have to worry about. Um, and they, you know, go through these cycles maybe every year or every other year where they're like, okay, we established uh, some rules so the you know, we're supporting our packers to do better. Um, under these guidelines, they're going to succeed. We're, we're going to have fewer damages and uh, nobody's going to be drowning in filler material. Um, but unfortunately, humans are just not that great at you know packing in the amount of time that a packer has when they're just trying to get stuff out the door. Um, so we, we bring kind of a you know an algorithmic approach to it. Um, we're always looking to support the packers on the floor, not make their lives uh, harder or not slow anything down. Um, but yeah, I, I know the feeling well of, of getting the pen in the, the massive box. Yeah, I get rid of the pillows too. That's one thing that blows my mind. Thinking about, were there any surprising challenges? You know, you're optimizing packaging space. You're putting things closer together. There's less room for filler. Uh, were there any surprising challenges or things you came across as you guys were developing the technology? Sure. Well, I mean, there's a reason, you know, what we're doing hasn't really been done to this degree before. Um, it's because every shipper has a different edge case. Um, so, you know, fragility to one home goods retailer, uh, you know, my bowls can only be stacked so high with this much fill between. And, it, you know, fragility is very different to like an auto parts company, for example. Um, so the the main challenge was making sure we could develop the, the engine in such a way that it would not uh, you know, it would not break uh, under under new use cases. We needed it to be flexible um, so that people could kind of define their own requirements uh, in the API. But with thinking of the API and zoning on that, as you develop these use cases, that's kind of where the goldmine is, is you're developing, you know, auto parts are going to have different tolerances of breakage versus home goods. And so is that kind of where having the API and the data, is that the next frontier to look into to help improve, you know, the overall situation? Absolutely. And I mean, we do that today. Um, we do, you know, the real-time cartonization and then also analyses. So we look at huge data sets over millions of orders and we say, okay, what, you know, what could be learned from this? And we sort of let the engine run and we come up with suggestions for, okay, you should actually have, you know, this many cartons available to ship in. They should be this, these sizes. Um, if you want to prioritize cost savings, maybe you add one more uh, carton here or there. Um, so there's a whole lot in this one specific area that's just ripe for optimization that is kind of underserved at the moment. Um, but yeah. 
Looking at the API, I know from my experience as a broker and in trucking, API is kind of this magical word because everyone's using Excel mm -hmm. spreadsheets. Is that something where for a lot of these folks who are making the cartons, the manufacturers, and even parts of the supply chain, do they have trouble even just trying to figure out what each other's doing? Um, well, we took the approach of not wanting to step on anybody's toes. Um, so our API is totally stateless. Um, and I think we've, we've started to see a pattern of this in other solutions providers, particularly in supply chain, where there's these you know massive systems. Everybody's got a process that they've spent who knows how long putting in place. Um, so we, we try not to rock the boat. We just have this very fast, you know, stateless API. So it comes back in milliseconds um, and not get in the way. In terms of analysis, uh, where we're recommending carton sizes, um, that we actually, we have collaborated with packaging providers because um, a lot of them are not, uh, I guess you could say tech centric. Um, a lot of how they've consulted on this issue in the past has been, you know, kind of like averages of averages, um, which has been good enough, uh, but good enough is not good enough anymore. I feel like the world of corrugated cardboard, I don't think that you'd have to reinvent the cardboard wheel as much. And so it's more of, like you said, looking for these savings. What does it look like? So as you use the technology, this is really fascinating for me. Uh, say I'm pack packing something. Is that where it'll tell me, here's how much needs to go in this box? Or what, what does it look like when it helps the end user? Exactly. Yeah. So um, our larger customers will usually have a screen at the pack station that'll show each of the boxes in the shipment. And we have showed how the images should fit in. Um, a lot of times it's enough just to deliver a pack list and that gets printed out somewhere. Um, we've had some cases where we're actually driving box making machines. So the, the packer doesn't have to sit there scratching their head wondering, how do I, what boxes should I make for this shipment? Um, so we try to plug in wherever we can uh, to, to drive the most value. And looking into that, does that help out with warehousing operations? I know with some customers that, you know, utilize packaging, it can take hours to either uh, get the stuff preloaded to put in a trailer. I mean, is that something where by just doing that, you can also save the people who are hauling it out? Absolutely. I mean, there's, there's a lot of value in knowing way ahead of time, you know, what size cartons you're going to need, um, especially if you're doing like a pick and pack sort of thing. I mean, we have users that call it in the online shopping cart, actually. And that's how much kind of lead time they get to, to figure out what the warehouse operation needs to look like that day. Um, I, we weren't talking about pallets, but this kind of reminds me of that because we've had um, folks come in that, you know, need to give quotes on shipping. And uh, in order to do that, they would have to call down to the warehouse and say, hey, guys, you have to build this order on pallets so we can rate it. Um, so they actually have to physically build the pallet uh, in order to figure out how much it's going to cost their customer. Um, and obviously today we can model it really quickly so they don't have to do that. Um, but there's lots of use cases where um, you can't believe before how kind of slow or under controlled uh, they were before a little automation got added. Do you have any examples you can share with some success stories on that? I'm kind of curious. I know you utilize brokers as well as shippers. Uh, were there any big like 10x wow moments in terms of what they used to be doing and then how it came in? Um, well, I can't share the company name, but <laughs> this is a, uh, a large home goods brand that uh, is a household name. Um, we were able to uh, translate that it was around 14%, maybe 14.1% uh, reduction in cubic size of their packages. And they were actually able to 
track it all the way through to trailers. Um, and that that one-to-one relationship between carton size and trailers bore out perfectly. Um, so we were able to save them 400 trailers a year. Um, I think something like 231 acres of corrugate a year um, and $1.8 million, uh, which is kind of ridiculous when all we're really talking about here is tweaking slightly in a millisecond how something is packed. Um, but that's kind of the, that's the fun of supply chain. You do these little little tweaks and they they bubble up. Well, that's amazing. Even the trailers. Are we talking like full giant drive-in trailers or any modes of transportation? They just didn't have to load as many and with less corrugate, right? That's the total kind of savings for the Scope 3 uh, play? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it, these, these cartons take up quite a bit of space. Um, if they're going overnight and they're going on a plane, um, that's where it's kind of a tragedy, honestly. Because talking to some of the carriers and they're saying, well, we've got these planes loaded. Um, we've got you know freight sitting on the runway. Um, all these planes are full, um, but they're nowhere near their actual weight limit. So we're sending a lot of unnecessary uh, planes around. the The goal is really to get more in a smaller space. Um, so especially, I mean, planes are, are really the most polluting mode we have. Um, so. So that, that's where some of the biggest impact comes from. And those guys, with well, the big sell for them is they charge based on the amount of packages hauled in the plane, right? So if they're not even packed as well, you can, you're can you fitting less in and making less revenue versus the jet fuel and all that. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, not to go too far down the rabbit hole, but that's that's actually what we, uh, what we optimize for. We're not just trying to make smaller packages. We're actually trying to read the rate tables. Uh, and the fees as part of all that one step of making a packing decision. So um, you may have totally different box configurations for two shipments if one is going ground and one is going air, um, because the air rates incentivize, um, you know, very very tightly packed. Um, it's they they penalize more boxes less than a ground shipment if that makes sense. So so you may have more boxes flying uh, but fewer. Maybe less efficient, but uh, easier to handle uh, boxes uh, going ground. That's cool. I kind of always wondered, especially with ground and air, on the trucking side, we usually just depended on getting yelled at. So if it was ground, you kind of got yelled at less. And if it was air, you really got yelled at. So is that something where that's kind of the future with this API, with this technology? It also helps the shippers determine what mode they need to ship it, right? For sure. Um, we definitely optimize for not getting yelled at. That, that's one of the <laughs> objectives. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, we've seen, you know, even between two carriers. So if you rate shop the two major carriers, maybe you've got a couple regionals uh, mixed in there. Um, one of the interesting implications of being able to pack according to their rate incentives is that it'll, it may actually change which carrier is cheaper if you have the right box configuration for each. Because you actually want to be comparing, you know, apples to oranges. You don't want to say, here's how it's packed. What are my options? You want to say, what is the best carrier with the best packing going to cost me? Um, which can be a, you know, $10, $20, $50 swing in some cases and definitely impact uh, your, your carrier decision. That's interesting. I never knew that some of the carriers would actually, based on how it's packed or the amount. So some of the air carriers would penalize you on volume or they'd penalize you. You need a certain minimum, I guess, to be able to get a deal or you get a cut, a better deal if you have more in bulk. Well, the problem is it's, it, it's nothing so like cut and dry. Um, you really have to look at 
So they, they, they all want you to minimize the number of cartons and minimize the air in the box. But depending on the infrastructure that is there on that shipment's journey, they may prioritize one of those things over the other, if that makes sense. So yeah. in real time, when you're picking a carrier, um, you need to be kind of, if, if you really want to get that extra savings, you need to be pretty agile with, with how you're selecting the boxes. And looking at the API in a dashboard gives you an idea in terms of what you're looking at, what your inventory is. Uh, what are you guys thinking in terms of uh, wh where are you hoping to go on the path? Is it looking more like predictive or is it like optimization? How, how will this dashboard, is there any plans on how it evolves over time or adds to bringing more people in the ecosystem? Well, I'm glad you asked because uh, I haven't mentioned this in public, but this week we're announcing um, a, a new product uh, called Pack Simulate. Um, that lets uh, shippers and, and, and retailers run scenario scenarios that leverage our engine to kind of model things out. Um, as an, I mean, the easiest one I already mentioned, which is what cartons should I use? Well, to get to that answer, you have to simulate, you know, maybe up to millions of your shipments, um, hundreds of times with different box configurations. Um, and then you, you're going to want to understand the implications on you know, material savings, cost savings, all these things. Um, as an extension to that, some of the stuff that we're working on is um, moving a little bit further upstream. So measure the scope three emissions and cost implications of making my, you know, widget half an inch shorter or wider or whatever it is. Um, now that we are able to model these things, you can actually incorporate transportation costs into decisions that would not normally be uh, linked so that's almost like saying, now that you're having the API in the data, you have the simulations, you could figure out the given time, how much it would cost for the packaging, the corrugate, the resin, and then how much it would cost to ship it in truckloads. And then as the rates and stuff change over time, it'll basically give you that configured recommendation saying, uh, it's almost a way to track emissions as well, because you figure out the th thousands of, uh, that you mentioned earlier, was it 250,000 acres of corrugate or something like that? Uh, 250 acres for this one particular customer, but um, I think how we described it to them um, was how many times we could paper the top of their distribution center with uh, corrugate, um, and that you know sometimes it's hard to visualize uh, this amount of material. So we're, we try to get a little creative with uh, describing uh, the the sheer amount of it. That's really cool. Have you, and now, talking about scope three, I'm hearing things about carbon credits. Is that kind of the another way of providing at least that benchmark using your platform, using the API of allowing some of these businesses that have no idea to calculate it, they can just hop in via the API and at least they have you all in the database to give them a, a general fuzzy idea of what their emissions are. Yeah, yeah, they can they can use it to kind of measure that out, how they're doing today versus what the opportunities are and kind of plan out further improvements to, you know, their their carton mix or, or their uh, packing process. Um, I would say that, you know, while that is useful, we're, we're much bigger ag advocates for, um, I don't know if you've ever heard the term, term carbon inset, um, but it, it's basically... You know, what can I do internally to reduce uh, my emissions that also happen to reduce costs? Um, the, you know, the other approach is to pay for all of the waste that I'm generating. Um, so, I, you know, we're big advocates for if you're looking at um, paying carbon offsets, you should also be doing this at the same time because 
I mean, why, you know, you should only be paying on what you absolutely can't reduce. That has to be kind of the mindset uh, yeah. this year. Be more optimization focused. Use the technology to save your cost and then you're saving carbon as a byproduct anyway. Right, exactly. That's a fascinating. I, I was very excited to hear about it as well. I, when I hear about it in the trucking space, we hauled whole things of cart. They just put them in trailers and stuff. But it was so fascinating to see like just removing a few inches as well as how it packs can like make such a difference. If folks are interested in reaching out, learning more, connecting, uh, how's the best way to get in contact with you all? Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, James Malley. I'm happy to talk about cost optimal cartonization with anybody that'll listen. No, <laughs> uh, but yeah, feel free to send me a, a connection request. Otherwise, uh, packurate.io has uh, quite a few resources, um, white papers, case studies, all that kind of good stuff. Final question Can we turn the tan uh, cardboard packaging process green with this stuff? <sighs> I'm I'm hopeful. I, I think like anything with sustainability and in supply chain, um, it's it's complicated, um, and sustainability is not a destination. Uh, it's kind of a, a mindset and a process and a requirement. Um, so I am I am very hopeful that we can drastically reduce some of the waste, just because there's just such a big opportunity to do so. I like it. Thank you so much for coming on, James. Looking forward to hearing about this new release and the developments as well, and uh, hope to have you on again. Well, thanks so much. That's going to be it for Loaded and Rolling today, but I have a newsletter as well, freightwaves.com slash loaded and rolling, and sometimes I host SiriusXM. Uh, that's always fun. You can check it out, Road Dog Trucking Channel 146. They use me for a lot of different things, but join us next week as well. Tons of exciting things. That's it for today, though. I'm Thomas Watson, signing off. <laughs>